Topic 24, Second Paper of 20th Century Negro Literature. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. 20th Century Negro Literature, Topic 24, Second Paper by Reverend John W. Whitaker. Reverend John W. Whitaker, A.M., a prominent congregational pastor was a poor boy who made his way up through many hardships he was born at atlanta georgia december twenty third eighteen sixty of his father he knows very little his mother was a devoted christian whose life greatly influenced his character when old enough he was put to work to help support the family while an office boy at atlanta he met a young man lewis g watts a thorough christian and fond of reading who cultivated Mr. Whittaker's friendship and took a great interest in him. Whenever with Mr. Whittaker, he questioned him in arithmetic, grammar, and the news of the day. In this way, a desire for an education was awakened in Mr. Whittaker. He decided to go to school. He began his education in the summer of 1876 in a country school in a suburb of Atlanta. From there, he went to the Stars Grammar School. His examination revealed the fact that he had considerable general information, but it was so unsystematic that it was very difficult to tell to what grade he belonged. He was, however, classified as a senior with conditions and was graduated with honor at the close of the school year. Then he matriculated in Atlanta University, where he studied seven years, completing the college course in 1884. He studied theology at the Hartford Seminary graduating in 1887. During these years of study, Mr. Whitaker partly supported himself by teaching in the summer and working out of school hours, which was an immense drain upon his strength, and once he broke down under it. Through the kindness of friends, he was enabled to spend two summers in the north farming. This change, he feels, was the saving of his life. June 1, 1887, at Springfield, Massachusetts, where he held his first charge, he was ordained. In 1888, he was married to Miss Anna J. Conover of Hartford, Connecticut. Mr. Whitaker educated himself to labor for his people in the South. He was not content to remain in the North. After a very successful year at Springfield, he resigned to accept a call to the Knoll Street Congregational Church of Nashville, Tennessee. For three years, he was chaplain of the Tuskegee Normal and Industrial Institute. For seven years and four months, he was pastor of the First Congregational Church in New Orleans, Louisiana, and three years he had charge of the First Congregational Church of Savannah, Georgia. Recently, he has been recalled to Tuskegee to be the financial secretary of the Tuskegee Institute. Mr. Whitaker is a preacher of force and power. In every place he pastored, he was remarkably successful. He has often been honored by his church with positions of trust and responsibility. He was one of the Louisiana Commissioners of the Negro Department for the Atlanta and Cotton States Exposition. It would seem, from the immense following of these churches, that this question would require a negative answer, but it is only in appearance and can be accounted for. In the days of slavery, the Methodist and Baptist churches predominated in the South. The great mass of the slaves attended these church with their masters, and there they were converted and became members. They were thoroughly indoctrinated in the teachings of these churches. 
at the same time there were other denominations existing among the slaves catholic episcopalian and presbyterian in some portions of the united states where these denominations were in the lead they have a very large negro following whose attachment to these religious sects is so strong that they could be satisfied in no other they belong to these denominations by birth and training all that is sacred and dear to them is wrapped up in the history of these bodies at the present time it is a fact that the negro is found in every religious denomination known among men so it cannot be said with truth that no other than baptist and methodist churches are adapted to the negro the needs of the negro from a religious point of view demand all sects how does it come about then that the baptists and methodists so largely predominate today these denominations just after the war of the rebellion required no educational qualification for the ministry and missions were opened by them everywhere an opening was to be found and every man learned or ignorant who felt himself called to preach was licensed and sent forth to preach in his way and to build up churches these men were for the most part ignorant and superstitious with very vague ideas of religion their chief object was to draw the people and every other consideration was sacrificed to that end they pandered to the ignorant and superstitious notions of the negro ridiculed intelligence and prejudiced their followers against it they had no thought of progress but taught the people to be satisfied with what their fathers before them did and had not to believe in this bible religion which has sprung up since the war to prefer the old-time preacher who without any learning gets up and opens his mouth and lets god fill it with words to utter back of all this there was one ever-present motive the pastor's support the running expenses of the church and the keeping up of the house of worship all this had to be collected from the congregation hence the preacher's position hung upon his getting and holding a congregation in the methodist church a clergyman's advancement depends chiefly upon his ability to increase his membership and to raise money therefore every baptist and methodist pastor felt the very great necessity there was upon him of getting as great a crowd as possible and gathering all the finance he could from it this many did regardless of the method employed thus it was that these two denominations got hold of the masses and preoccupied the field the other denominations went to work in an entirely different way they did not seek in the first place the spread of their sects but the elevation of the negro they realized that the negro needed to be developed into strong self-reliant and independent characters that the masses were not moved by duty and did not appreciate the obligation of duty they are a prey to their feelings which sway them to the right hand and to the left they live on their feelings so engrossed are they in their feelings that they neglect duties and ignore obligations that is why the religion of so many is such sad rubbish god gave man reason to rule over his actions but it was plain that in the great mass of the negroes reason is yet a child ruled over by its playmates the feelings passions and appetites this is not the kind of foundation upon which to build a true religious life therefore these denominations went to work to educate the negro they put the emphasis on education schools instead of churches were established their theory was that men should not only be converted 
but they also should be educated and made intelligent Christians. They did not discount brains, did not consider ignorance in itself a mark of virtue, nor that learning disqualified a disciple of God for the best service of his Lord and Master. In their polity, the school and the church stood side by side. In their view, an example of higher and better things must be set. Men of intelligence, power, thought, and strong characters, filled with the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, must be raised up from among the people to lead them and to teach them. They were slow in establishing churches. Whatever churches they set up were pastored by men of learning and character. They were unwilling to stoop to the people, but sought to bring the people up to them. Everything was done according to the custom of the most intelligent and cultured. The preaching was of a high order, yet adapted to the needs of the people. The music was the very best. Thus a model church was set up, suited to the needs of its communicants. As fast as men were trained and prepared for the work of the gospel ministry, they were sent forth to take charge of newly organized fields. This work went on with considerable opposition, but the influence that went out from these churches and schools was felt in the whole community. They were centers of light and wholesome Christian instruction. They were Mount Sinai's from which the laws of liberty, education, and progress were sent out to the people far and near. These churches were, in intelligence, far removed from the masses. There was very little effort put forth to reach them. That was not the object now. That work was to come on later. The members of and the attendants upon these churches were mainly those who had been sufficiently taught to appreciate them. The ignorant and prejudiced dubbed these churches high tone. They said, Only the educated and well-dressed can go there. The people in that church have no religion. They have only book religion. You must know how to read to go there. Why, you can't shout or say amen. I don't want anything to do with that church. It's too cold for me. Thus there grew up in the minds of the masses, generally, a prejudice against these denominations. And the fact that these churches were for a long time in the hands of white pastors was used to stir up opposition to them. The clergymen of the Methodists and Baptists made much of it to tear them down and build up themselves. Then again, the members of these educated churches did a great deal to widen the breach by such remarks as this. We do not want any head-handkerchief people in our churches. They often spoke in a way which gave the impression that they felt themselves better than the commonality of their brethren. And whenever visitors came to these churches, the members did not extend them that cordial welcome which makes one feel at home and want to come again. This was often done unconsciously. These members had been apt students who faithfully copied their instructors. The very atmosphere of these churches was New England, which was cold and formal as compared to our southern ways. Thus our untrained brethren did not feel at home in their midst. As time goes on and education becomes more general, these hindrances and difficulties to the progress of the other denominations begin to pass away. The prejudice against them wanes. The Baptist and Methodist are forced to change their tactics. Their people begin to clamor for more intelligent ministry. The churches of the other denominations fell into the hands of young colored men who had been educated and trained to take these places. The passing of these churches into the hands of the native pastors 
was the beginning of a new era in our southern church history the north had set the standard and carried out its purpose to raise up educated men and women to take up the work the labor of these churches heretofore was one of education and preparation now it becomes one of development and expansion up to this time they cared for the few now they are to reach out for the masses previously these churches had been in great measure supported by northern aid but now they have to deal with all the problems connected with running a church such as gathering and holding a congregation securing pastor support and all the expenses of keeping up and maintaining a house of worship hence the necessity is upon them to reach the masses if they expect to exist not only to save souls but also that their forces may be strengthened and made more efficient and that they stand today a good chance in this race as do the methodists or baptists their past work in an educational line in behalf of the negro in general has given them a lasting hold upon the hearts of the people who feel that they owe these denominations a debt of gratitude which can never be paid most of the methodist and baptist leaders of today were trained in the schools of these denominations so they enjoy the best wishes of the communities in which they exist with very few exceptions the way is open to them to grow if they will only seize it and use it for all its worth note by the editor we assume that the membership of neither the baptist nor the methodist churches would claim for a moment that theirs is the only church suitable to the negro race but we think it would be unfair to leave the discussion of this topic without correcting an erroneous impression given by the rev j w whittaker in the paper above perhaps not more than one other church has done more for the education of its negro ministers and membership than has the methodist episcopal church through its freedmen's aid society and by other methods this education commenced immediately after the war we have reason to believe that the baptist is close second to the methodist church in this matter of educating the negro it is possible that some of the negro baptist and methodist churches that are entirely separated from the white churches of the same denomination may come under the category of a specially ignorant ministry and membership but even these exclusively negro churches began the work of education soon after emancipation we suspect that the two churches under criticism as given above preferred not to wait until the freedmen became cultured before attempting to save them end of topic twenty four second paper